0: Welcome to episode 78 of the Football Fitness Federation podcast. I hope everyone is staying safe and well in the current climate. This episode is with Liam Anderson, the Head of Sports Science and Medicine at Crew Alexandra. It's great to have Liam on. I'm sure many of you will have seen the Sports Science Journal Club that Liam has set up a quality resource. We touch on it in in the podcast, but I do urge you to go and check it out. You can go and follow Liam on Twitter at Liam underscore Anderson and then the number five, and you'll see all the information there if you haven't already seen it. So we spoke about the Sports Science Journal Club, but we also spoke about advice for coaches regarding PhDs or his PhD, the the sort of experience that he had, the future of sports science and data collection, and then the reflective practice as well. So a really important aspect that Liam has introduced into his coaching practice is the reflective practice so we've, we've been running a an iTunes ebook giveaway on reviews and I want to say a massive thank you because we've had, we said we we're going to do it for the next 10 people, we've had 10 reviews come in so a big thank you to everyone that's left a review and um, and like we said, all you have to do is screenshot the review, send it over to mail at footballfitfed.com and we'd send you over an ebook. and we've sent some ebooks out already. I'm just going to read a couple of the reviews out. Um, so we had, the title was Fantastic Listen for Practitioners and Coaches. So it says, as a young practitioner currently working with an elite club, this podcast has really helped me with my day-to-day practice and gave me food for thought in terms of in implementing new ideas at my club. So huge thank you for that one. Next one, great podcast. This podcast has provided me with a great insight as to how different sectors within human performance operate at a variety of different levels. As a current student, the plethora of tips and advice from practitioners is really something I've taken away to hopefully help me in the future. And then the next one says great podcast providing a great insight into the world of sports science within football and providing me with extra tips and information from a practitioner's point of view. And there's there's more guys, so I won't read them all, but there's just a few um, iTunes reviews. And as a thank you, I'm actually going to extend it. So we said we're going to do it for the next 10 people. We've got 10 reviews in, but we'll extend it for the next five reviews that come in as well. So if you can head over to iTunes, leave us a review, a five-star review, a short comment, just like one of those, and we and screenshot the review, send it over to mail at footballfitfed.com, and then we'll reply with a free copy of our developing speed guide ebook, which has got all of our methodologies regarding developing speed, but it also includes an eight-week speed programme as well. So if you send a review over and you're within the next five people that leave us an iTunes review, we'll send you straight over a copy of the Developing Speed ebook. But huge thank you to everyone that's done that and left a review so far. I really do appreciate it. So I hope you enjoyed the episode with Liam. It was great chatting to him. I think there's loads of takeaways on this one, especially anyone that's um, thinking about going into the PhD pathway, or currently on a PhD journey, this one is definitely for you. So enjoy the episode with Liam. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode seventy-eight. I'm delighted today to be joined by Liam Anderson, head of sports science and medicine at Crew Alexandria. Liam, how's it going?
1: Very good, Ben. How's you? All
0: good, thank you, mate. What's uh, what's going on in the current climate?
1: Uh, not much training from home, sowing the garden, I think, trying to keep myself busy as best I can. Really,
0: what about yourself? Yeah, same really, mate. All the same, there's not too much else going on at the moment, is there? But no. I know I spoke to a few people recently about the situation with players, and I know a lot of people are in the same sort of position with players training from home and um, doing some online sessions, possibly using Zoom and, and um, methods like that. But what's the position at
1: Crew? So at Crew at the minute we've got um, our players are actually furloughed, so we can't actually tell them to do anything. It's got to be down to the player themselves if they want to look after themselves. Now they got given uh, an example program when before they left and before we left the club, and it's down to them to follow that program really until they're until they're not furloughed. But we're allowed contact with them. We're just not allowed to tell them really anything what they're allowed to do really, and. There's also at the club we've got five core members of staff which have not been furloughed in order so the club can still function on a day-to-day basis with different things and basically plan for the future.
0: Yeah, it's a challenging one at the moment, isn't it? With with the different situations that clubs and players are in. I know I know there's people in slightly different positions, players yeah. furloughed, staff furloughed. Um, it's a tough one, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think I think if you know, I think it's good what it's kind of good what crew are doing because we are. Ultimately we are trying to protect the football club, but also the, the football club still has to run. So that's why there's five those five core members of staff that are there to to try and plan for the future and try to, you know, to implement implement things which are gonna happen when we actually get back. And that is the big
0: thing, that's the big consideration, isn't it? We need
1: to be ready to sort of go when when given the green light. Definitely, definitely. I think you know I I, I had this discussion a couple of uh, a couple of weeks ago and it's gonna be Two to three weeks pre season, I think, and then Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday until it gets done. Um, it's gonna be crammed into as small as possible time with the with everything which is going on at the moment with contracts and things like that. So I don't I don't think we'll have long to get it done if it does get going when they say it'll get going.
0: Yeah, it's all a bit of a waiting game at the moment, but let's let's delve into you, mate because I've just mentioned, obviously, you're at crew now, um, but there's plenty of lessons along the way through your career so far, and I know we're going to delve deep into that today um, in terms of your PhD and everything else you've had going on, so do you want to just start us off and just take us through your career step by step, and then we'll go into more detail?
1: Yeah, sure, so I think, like most people, uh, I started off at university, uh, Liverpool John Moore's University, just down the road from me. Um, after my final year my third year university I was sort of umming and ahhing where to go what to do I was lucky enough when, I, when that was happening I got a year long internship uh, at Everton Football Club that was that had to coincide with a master's degree so I did a master's degree alongside that towards the end of that internship I got I applied for a PhD working at Liverpool Football Club working with their first team which I got I was at Liverpool for three years um, I then went out to Hungary for one year. I then came back from Hungary and two months out, finished my PhD. And now I've been at Crew ever since then, really. It's two and a half years. And I know that the timings of uh, you being initially at Everton crossed
0: with the former guest, Steve Tashtian. So what was yeah. your experience like on that, on
1: that internship? Well, Steve was brilliant and I always... Oh, that, that, if, I, if I use the analogy, like a football game, that, that internship was like a like a warm-up because it got you ready, really, for the real world and it, and it, it did everything what you needed it to do. Um, I could have quite easily gone away and got a job at a football club after that year internship. Yeah, like anyone, I think after only one year working internship, if you got a job, you'd feel like you were thrown in at the deep end with no armbands. But I feel like Steve really did help you and he tried to develop you from... Really, from never having any experience in football at all to try and get you to a point where where you're able to be able to do a job
0: and what what sort of advice would you give um, probably students or postgrads coming out of university and looking for that first opportunity in terms of seeking the opportunity but once they get it, what advice would you
1: give once they're in it as well so in terms of seeking the opportunity really I think I was actually thinking about this the other day. and um, I was thinking about what I did when I was in that situation. Now, I, I was in my... I was going into the last year of university, so second to third year. And at Liverpool, John, on plenty of internships. Internships come available when you're doing that. And I think that I sort of looked... I, I looked at myself, and I used to have meetings with all the lecturers, of thought had a really good relationship, but I never really did anything extracurricular, Nothing beyond my degree, I was, don't get me wrong, I was a first class student, and but I never really did anything to, to help develop my applied skills, and I applied for all the internships and I never got any, and I thought, why has he got it, why has she got it, why has he got it? I looked at what they and spoke to them, and what they had done their CVs, and they had things like coaching qualifications, personal training qualifications, uh, match analysis qualifications and things like that, so I... I sort of set my goal for the year of going away and getting everything what they had. So then if the opportunity did come around the following year in order to get an internship and I was going on to the Masters, I'd stand myself in, in good stead in getting it, which just so happens it did. And after after feedback from speaking to people like John McKeon and Steve at Everton, the reason I got that internship was because, they've seen the development in me from when I applied for it the year before from when I applied for it after. So they've actually seen what what I actually did in order to get that internship and they've seen that desire of what I actually wanted to wanted to do moving forward. Then, Sorry, mate. So I was going to say it's a tough one in that period, isn't it? Because sometimes you
0: can get a bit lost with time, can't you, in terms of you know that you should be doing something and you know that you should probably be upskilling in certain areas, but... It's knowing exactly
1: where to go and what to do, isn't it? Definitely. And I think that's why, and I have a lot of people speak to me over things like LinkedIn, over email, over Twitter and things like that. And they all speak to me and they ask ask for advice on how to get into the industry. And this is not not a gripe against them, but I think the worst thing that they can do is go up to someone and say, do you have any opportunities at Crew? Now, it's sort of the old-fashioned cliche. It's more... How, how can I get to have an opportunity to improve should be the question. Um, something which, again, I don't think people should be just doing experience just because it's part of their degree programme. You know, a lot of degree programmes require them to do um, to do a, a six-month placement or a four-month placement at a football club. But I'd sooner than wanting to come to the football club because they want to come into the football club, not because it's part of the degree programme. Now, I think that's, that, that's the difference in two people and the difference in two students. Now, I've had students that it's nothing to do with the degree program and they've stayed with me for two years. And I've had students that have been with me for two months because they just want to literally come, tick a box and go. Now, I can tell you now the students which are going to go places, the ones that came for two years and they want to learn everything they possibly can, albeit, yeah, it is for free, but they're learning. It is a learning environment at that time.
0: And that's a bit of a controversial topic, isn't it? And it's something that's been probably talked about far too much in terms of the free internship, the paid internships, in terms of getting paid, but then also paying for internships too. Yeah. I mean, have you got any, any views on that? Any, anything that you think, that, how we need to change? Or
1: Well, I, I, I came through that process as well. and I think in my first internship, I think it was, I think it was close to £1,000. I think we got paid in expenses from Everton, which... You know, I think, like anyone, you're paying to get to work every day, you're paying to get there. I was doing something close to 35, 40 hours a week. I uh, thinking back. Now, that if you're getting, getting to work every day and things like that, that doesn't, it doesn't take you very far. Um, especially then getting to uni and things like that, you need to work. But I feel like, for me, and I, I've never recruit, I've never said so. an individual, you have to be in on this day, you have to come in, you have to do that. I've always said, listen, we're in on these days. If you want to come in, it's completely fine. Come in and learn and do things. But if you don't, it's no problem. You won't. I won't look at you any differently. Now I think that because they they've already proved to me by getting off, getting off off the backside and actually asking if they can come in as part of their part of their development. Now that for me shows the biggest initiative. Um, and then it's it's down to me. And I think it depends on how they use used. If If students are just users, cheap labour in order to do things and get the staff member, then I think it is wrong, yeah. But then I think if there's a development programme in place for that student, then I think there's definitely definitely a place for it within elite sport because a little bit like an apprenticeship programme, yeah, but albeit they get paid, but we are in a different field and I think for students, they just need to get that foot in the door because it is such a... Such a diluted industry at the minute, and they just need to stand out from the rest. It, it definitely depends on
0: how you use the opportunity, doesn't it? Because it, the, even paid opportunities could be wasted, couldn't they? Easily, like because we could waste waste time, waste people's energy, but also we could utilise every single second and come out like on top of the pile.
1: Definitely, definitely, and I mean, think you know a little bit like when you know the people who come in and they stay they stay for a year or they stay for 6 months and like, I'm still in, I'm still in touch with a lot of the students you know who were successful with me and I'm gone on to different places now um and I feel like it's about just grasping that opportunity when you're there um you 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 finally got your foot in the door you know you need to show things like commitment work you know, how you do work organizational skills show me your skills show me what you've got and then I think it's done you know, if, if an opportunity comes available, go for it. I've never kept anyone at Crewe or, or any other clubs I've been at. Um, a little bit different in Hungary. But I've never kept anyone there. I've always tried to push them on so they can try and get those opportunities and get into those different fields. And also, try and learn a different environment. See what it's like.
0: Yeah, definitely. And let's move on now to a big part of your, your career so far in terms of the PhD. PhD even, not PhD. <laughs> um, so just initially, the, the mindset of yours, like what was the mindset in terms of thinking about going into the PhD and then your approach from there?
1: So, I'll be honest. I think when, when I got the phone call and when I was going for the PhD, I, I wasn't even thinking about the PhD. I was just thinking, brilliant, I've managed to secure the next three years. I'm going to be working at Liverpool full-time you know, happiest day of my life, I'm a Liverpool fan, unbelievable. So, for me, it probably never really hit home, probably to the second or third month, where, you know, the PhD actually started planning, and I think it took us four or five months just for the registration process to even, you know, get going, and we actually put a plan together, and it's called the RD9R, and how you can actually start start the process of the PhD. And then it really, like, much it's a take because you can go from working a lot of people in Liverpool we were probably working half eight till five every day and going to the gym half an hour 40 minutes going home eating tea and then you know three out of the or four out of the seven days a week probably getting our laptop out and work until 12 one in the morning just in order to try and finish it and try and finish it on time to a good standard and I feel like anyone who's about to start a PhD they really need to sort of evaluate what, what they currently have in their life and if, if there is actually time to do it. Yeah, that's one thing I was
0: going to ask. I was going to ask advice for people that are thinking about pursuing that journey, that PhD, but also people that are currently, um, currently surrounded by one, that are currently involved in one.
1: Yeah, so I think if, if you're about to start one, I'd probably, uh, the first step I'd go on that, I'd sort of evaluate what your current workload is. Now, everyone's workload's different and, and people within clubs are different from heads departments to people who are, people who are on the ground, you know, doing everything day in, day out. And, you know, not one club's the same. So every club's different. And then um, I'd probably try to evaluate that. And then I'd probably think of, you know, what is it going to give you? So for me, it gave me the research skills to go on and de- like develop and become a, sort of a practitioner as well as on the, on the applied field, it gave me the chance to become like a researcher and those, those research uh, and skills. So I think if you're going to find that valuable to your job, definitely go ahead and do it. But if not, you can also just see it. Brilliant to have on your CV. It's an accomplishment. Some people like the challenge, you know why do people climb Kilimanjaro? <laughs> so <laughs> no one can say apart from the feeling that it gives you. Now, I think I've had this conversation with, mainly through the people that, that came through at Liverpool, the other PhD students, and it, it, actually, it actually is a massive anti-climax <laughs> when you actually finish because you're sort of like, okay, so what do we do now? What happens? <laughs> and the answer is nothing. You know, you just get on with your life and carry on and try to... Some people like to push on from the PhD. Some people like to put it on from one side and I'm probably in the middle from that, really. I'm trying to push on now. Um, But some people literally say, right, that's me done. I want to pick up very few research articles now and I want to just get on with my job and focus on the applied side of things and I'm working the way up. And then I think for people in it, obviously if you're doing doing well in it, you're making good progress, there's not a lot of really advice I can give, really. But if you're not making progress, I think it's about... Just setting setting time setting down time, and I think if it's all about that time and something which I struggled at the start with. Whenever it was free, I was just picking up my laptop and then maybe trying to get twenty minutes in, and then more often than not, when I got four hours, I was just deleting what I did in that twenty minutes anyway. So again, it doesn't really doesn't really make any major differences. So it was like a little bit like one step forward two steps back and that time I could have spent 20 minutes I could have, met, I could have actually probably gone sat down without my phone or any sort of communication and actually thought about what I'm going to do during the next four hours which I'm going to be able to do it whereas you know I just use the time efficiently and effectively the best you can really and what about do you
0: want to just go into detail on your on your PhD in terms of the area and, and the research that you conducted
1: yeah so my PhD was, um, well, it first started when I was at Liverpool, and obviously I wanted to speak to the staff, and I spoke to the staff at Liverpool and, and some of the, uh, the consultants we had in at the time who, who sort of ran the PhD programme in James Morton and Barry Drust, and um, I was really interested in the training load side of things, and I wanted to sort of look down that route. And that's, that, that sort of came out in my first study, which I did where we looked at the change in match frequency in the weekly microcycle and the effects that that has on load. And then subsequently from, from that, we actually thought, okay, so if, if the loading is periodized, which it was in the weekly microcycle, can carbohydrate be periodized as well through, through uh, nutritional means? And then it actually what we looked at was, Okay, so yeah, it, it probably can. But what are these what are these lads actually expending? What is their energy expenditure looking like? Now, that was the big question, really, because not not only one study had been done uh, using the gold standard, which is doubly labelled water, which was on Japanese players back in two thousand one. And um, off the top of my head, I can imagine the demands of the premier a Premier League player will be a lot higher than than Japanese players so we we wanted to look and see especially for Liverpool as well because they they would have had eight players that would would get the the double labelled water used on them and we we administered that we collected urine for two weeks and collected energy intake through food diaries and and the remote food photographic method and um, we then analysed that and gave feedback to the club and the players and and the nutrition at the time which was I think it was Julian Lewis at the time Um and then we also had a study which looked at two case studies which came off that, one in a goalkeeper and one in an injured player. And then also looking at trading load over a season and what, what actually the players were missing out on if they weren't regularly starting fixtures.
0: Now, what about reflections on probably the research initially and then we'll go into the whole process as well?
1: Yeah, so I think the research, obviously... When I was going through the process at the time, I was actually really, really proud, especially when I was getting that research published. And I think, you know, through the people who who I was doing the research with, they're such high, high caliber researchers. And for me to be on a page with them, especially having to come through the whole process at John Moore's, it just gave me an immense feeling of joy, really. And it's something that, like, it's a little bit like a bug. You want to try and get more of that. And I think... That's something that I'm sort of trying to rein towards now and trying to get more research publications out and um, working at Crew because we have I'm sure we'll come on to it shortly, but we have a lot of data even at League 2 level now, and probably from what the Premier League was at, maybe six years ago, five, six years ago. we have all that data now in League 2. So I think for me, it was just that sort of immense feeling of joy and, and, and sort of again, getting the bug. Because I think it can be quite, quite addictive in order to try to get research papers out, and sort of people measure success on research papers. Some people, so I, I sort of seen that as you know, I've, I've had a successful period, or I want to do that again, or I want to put more out there, I want to do a different research area. And then I think of the whole process, it was ultimately it was probably the hardest experience of my life, both personally and professionally. Um for three years you I didn't have much of a social life at all. Um very difficult on like relationships and things like that. I think with a lot of people like my parents, some my girlfriends, it wouldn't have been possible because they're there to support you in the in the times of need. And you know, there's a lot of high points like publishing research articles, but not not a lot of people realise the actual crime that goes underneath of you know. No date nights on a, on a Wednesday and things like that because you you've got to get your laptop out and you've got to you've got to spend
0: four hours writing. I just wanted to give you a couple of updates on our online community. So some really exciting stuff coming for community members. We've just uploaded. I've literally just done it just before this podcast goes out. Hamish Munro, strength and conditioning coach at Bristol City, has just uploaded a brand new webinar: Velocity based training in professional football. I've watched it this morning. It's absolutely top quality. So you can go and check that out on the community now. We've also got, and we've had great feedback as well. So big thank you to everyone. Obviously we've had the iTunes reviews, but huge thank you to everyone that's left feedback, um, whether it's messages or Twitter posts, Instagram Instagram um, shares, on the last two podcasts in particular so episode 77 with Andreas Beck at uh, um, Borussia Dortmund some great feedback on that one and the, the video for that podcast is now available as well so you can see that on the community and then episode 76 with Andy Bowles and that again some great feedback and Andy reached out and actually said that loads of people have been getting in touch regarding that episode so big thank you to everyone that's been getting in touch, that's exactly what we want from these podcasts to develop some positive discussions around these topics um, and that is also available, the video version of that podcast is also available on the community as well so you can go and check out episodes 77 and 76 on the community in video version um, available on YouTube and there are some previous episodes as well such as the coping with coronavirus episode episode 68 um, that are also available as in video format too so if you want to sign up to the community you can sign up to get a free month by going to footballfitfed.com and click the community tab, if you sign up there you get a free month on the community and then if you stay a member after your free month, it is only £4.99 per month, you get access to all the webinars that are available on there and when our network meetings are able to start again, which is hopefully not too far away, um, all the presentations from those network meetings will be going up onto the community as well so you get access to all of those plus the 10 meeting presentations that are already available on there, so go and check it out footballfitfed.com click the community tab, sign up there and get access to Hamish's brand new presentation as well as all the other webinars. I'll leave you to the rest of the episode with Liam. Yeah, definitely. I think it's important for people to, like you mentioned before, isn't it? Before you go into that process, but looking at your current situation and deciding whether it's
1: something you can commit to. Definitely. And I think there's at the minute, there's you know there's more and more people that are going through that process now, which is it's brilliant because ultimately it's going to lead to more performance questions getting answered from clubs. Um, hopefully, that is what they're doing. And, and you know, Steve Barrett before he left Hull set up a lot at Hull. Um, I think there's a couple that just come out of West Brom at the minute. So a lot of the a lot of the clubs are going to be answering performance questions, which which will ultimately get better results for them and, and leads to the longevity of, of football clubs especially in the sports science department. And then going forward, Liam, in terms of the future, future of like research, data, where do you see things going? So I think, you know, we've had this conversation before, Ben. And I think with the data side of things, yeah, it, it, it literally has exploded. And, you know, a lot of the top clubs have employed data scientists and things like that to, to sift through the data. But there is a lot more on the human side of things. I think we need to do a lot more. Earlier on in my career, probably, probably, probably into the last year at Liverpool, I was very much data orientated. Um, if a player had gone over a certain amount of a acute chronic, and I was crapping myself that they were going to get injured in the match, and thinking, you know, they're going to have a long rehab and they're going to lose, and we're going to lose, and we're going to lose that player, for example. But I think I got a little bit too too tied down in that, and I it took me probably probably till I came to crew to actually get out of it and actually think, you know what, there is a human approach to it and think that if we can try to, to make them physically robust and things like that and, and make them mentally even stronger, which is what the goal is really at crew, then I think that's ultimately going to lead to improved performance. Now, that aside, there is a lot of data coming out of football clubs Now, it's what we do with that data again, because I think there's definitely things to do with it, although the humanistic approach is is definitely going to have, I think, going to improve over over the next few years. But it's it's the research process, I think, and it's that process that we've come through. I just mentioned previously that clubs have set up PhD programs in order to answer performance questions um, within First Team and Academy. And it's something that I'm very much interested in. I think if my if my budget accrues was a lot more, it's something that I had 100 set up. But again, you know things like that they do require a lot of money. Um, it's something that I've got set up at the minute with a with a masters program, a master's in strength and conditioning, a masters in nutrition at the program John was. So we take the students every year and they they fulfil their um, their major project with us. So and they answer what my performance question is for that year um, or what the manager's performance or even sometimes what the player's is. But sometimes the players, for example, one year we had the players complain about the the resistance training load saying it was too high. So we did a study looking at the resistance training load and how we could then ultimately impact that to promote freshness but also still keep the adaptation. Yeah, that's an
0: important area, isn't it? That performance question and like you say, it comes from a lot of different areas, doesn't it? It's not just not just you, not just the manager, not just the players, but a bit of
1: everyone. Yeah, and even so far this year, I've even I've even had conversations with our chairman about what his performance questions are. Now, I think you know you go to a lot of managers and chairmen, and they 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 want the fittest team that get the least amount of injuries. I think that's the ultimate question. What people want to find out, and that is you know it's a very big question. Now, I think that's not going to be answered in one study or not going to be answered in one club, but I feel like you know, if people start chipping away at it, then eventually we're going to have this multitude of research which we can actually look at in order to try to try to affect things. Now, don't get me wrong, there is a mass amount of research out there on those factors. But I feel like in order to link it to your club and your methodology and your players, it's brilliant for it to get done on within your
0: club. Yeah, it becomes a lot more specific to your current your current climate I suppose then doesn't it it's not a case of reading a research paper you've seen it done
1: there and then definitely definitely and a lot of the times people I'm sure people are doing that within clubs I know, I know a lot of people doing a lot of good work within clubs and it doesn't have to be published by all means it just, it's just an internal research project or it might be a little bit of CPD for, for a member of staff it's something that I really try to push and, and try to try to work on in order to try and get different outputs out of the department and you know one of my one of my staff members this year he's got a he's part of his yearly yearly goal and he's got to try to to get our research paper published in a in a well respected journal so like I think they, I think that that's the sort of area what we're going and it's sort of adding, adding different arrows to people's bows you know brilliant you know I've met practitioners that are absolutely unbelievable on the grass but you put a laptop in front of them and they, they can't they can't seem to navigate around the research process and write a paper and that's not a problem. That's not a problem as long as people around them can. Um, I think that it's just trying to develop those students a little bit going back to that pathway, developing those students and people who are coming through the clubs in order to try to to make them a better practitioner in the end if that's what they want to be. They might want to be an applied researcher, for example, but it's giving giving them that option and giving them that different thing coming off it. Yeah, we've spoke
0: about this before, haven't we, in terms of the non-scientific side and the, I suppose like the practical non-scientific side and then the, the research side and we do need the mix of both, don't we? It's, it's fair yeah. to say that some practitioners are probably suited to what more side, more so than the other, but you do need to, the ability to um, sort of intertwine between the two.
1: Yeah, in my opinion, yeah, you do. And I think it's always having those short gains. It's, it's having those sort of non-scientific decisions, really. I think... They're the ones that are going to give you those those short like short-term gains. But then it's also about looking at long-term goals and the long I've said it before, the longevity of the department, the longevity of the football club, really. Um, and I feel like if if we're using that research process to constantly evolve and, and improve performance, and improve our own practice within the club, ultimately we're going to get better players and we're going to move move in different, we're going to move in a positive direction. Um and then I think you know, day to day, we use the non-scientific methods without even knowing, because it's again, it's about the experience of what we've been, what we've done in the past, and when we were it like that, and we think, we think that that's now going to be able to help us moving on. And it, it, listen, probably will, but it's it's again, it's like a little bit like risk reward. Do we know? Do we know for definite it's going to work, or do we not? I think I'd probably put more emphasis on the, the long term projects rather than the short term ones that they would work or wouldn't work. But listen, by all means I think you need a good mix of everything and especially to be a good practitioner. I don't think if don't think if a manager said, Asked you a question and then you came back six months later later with a research research article then they'd be too happy. So
0: <laughs> Yeah, that's true. That's definitely true. I think it'd be great Liam, to draw from your Experiences at different clubs, different leagues, different managers, different players now as well. So I know obviously spent time in, in the UK, you've mentioned the clubs, Everton, Liverpool, crew, but also abroad as well. So just reflecting on the different clubs you've worked for uh, in those different circumstances. What are some key
1: things you take forward? First of all, I think there's no there's no one. Well, I, I think when I first started off in football. And it was when I was in full-time football. So probably at, at Liverpool, like I, I kind of thought there's this only one way to work. And that was probably my biggest, the biggest negative really that I could have actually thought because as soon as a manager changes, the whole the whole thing changes. And I think that unless we become adaptable very quickly, then you're literally out the door. Now, I think that... Getting, getting as much experience at as many different levels, as many different countries as, as you possibly can. This is probably for aspiring practitioners or even practitioners who are even in the game now who might feel like they've gone a little bit stale or they're not really developing. For me, I, I would literally, anything that came up, I'd seriously consider it. Um, it'd have to be a serious consideration because anything which is going to develop you differently could could ultimately make you the full rounded practitioner now like for example liverpool was completely different to hungary you go from one of the top european sides i think we at the, the season we finished we got to the final Europa league i think four or five weeks later i was starting off in the very first qualification round with video time. so like the start difference in the clubs was was huge now and then also a moved country and i think that's a brilliant life experience for anyone Um I think a lot of people take that take that for granted, and you know anyone who's spoke to who's to a different country, especially with a different language barrier it's it can be quite difficult, you know even things like paying the paying your bills you know how do you pay your bills in Hungary because it's not just a direct debit like it is in in England and things like that and it's just it, it it's the little things I think that all add up and actually make that life experience so much better and then also for me so i i think I feel like I've had a wide array of experiences probably from. An internship in an academy and a first team working at Everton, working at Liverpool first team, albeit not as a head of department. No, um, I was a PhD student there, and then working as a head straight away from there, going to a head of department. Now, at first, when I when that happened, when I went from Liverpool to Hungary, I was having conversations with people back here, and they were trying to they were trying to tell me that I was they felt like I was stuck in still in the internship mode. I wasn't in the head of department mode now that was probably because I was trying to literally do everything myself from speaking to the manager in conversations organised training conducting some of the training sessions planning everything I was doing myself and I feel like that probably was because I was still stuck in that intern mode or the, the student mode uh, of trying to do all the, the lower graded tasks should we say, within the football club um, and that took me Probably three or four months to get out of that, um, and try to you know make everything around making those key decisions, which are going on within a football club. Um, and then from to going to Crew, to think what it's like now from Crew to Liverpool, it's stark different. Um, you know, you've got people, people who even video time. Everyone at crew, we really chip in in order to try and make the football club work. Now, that's because it's probably because of budget and we don't have that budget for staff. But I feel like in order to learn how the pods work underneath, it will help you better when you're on the top. So I feel like I'm sort of trying to still get that process of underneath to see how the football club works as a whole. So hopefully when I move on and, and I do get to a, a higher role within a better club, then then it's about, I, can, I know the processes which happen underneath me. I think that's an important discussion,
0: isn't it? Because a lot of people will be in a position like an inter, internship or um, maybe as an assistant or something like that with the ambition of going into that head of department, but without really um, identifying the difference, like you're saying, the difference in mindset that you need, that you are leading the department, there's
1: people working for you, basically underneath you, yeah. And I feel like it's important. I, I, I and that's me coming from. I've worked underneath. I've worked at the top, at the top of the department, and I've worked at the bottom of the department. And I feel like it's important because when I'm asking someone to do something, I think that I think that it's important to know what the demands are on that person if they're to do if they are to do it. No, the demands might be different to what the demands are on me but you know the process that they have to go through in order to get to the outcome. Um, and I, I feel like that's, stead, that's led me in good stead uh, in order to do it. Now, a lot of the time it might need me helping them, but it's brilliant that I can now go to the, go to the person who's underneath me and actually help them, help them get to the, to the outcome which we actually all want.
0: Yeah, you can empathise with the position they're in, can't you? But I suppose it's also different when you step into that lead role that there's different stresses involved. In in that position, Definitely. is that fair
1: to say? Definitely, yeah. Now, you know, I probably spend two to two and a half hours a day speaking to the managers and coaches and players, and that's that that's part of my role because I'm the head of the farm and I'm the face of it. I've got to build those relationships, um, and that's probably something that I never did enough of in Hungary. Definitely, we've we've spoke before about reflecting, and it's something
0: that we've touched on before that there's not many people that will actually sit back and reflect on on their career or on um elements of, of their practice that they put in place. And it's I know it's something that you're passionate about and you believe in and it's something that you've probably adapted to recently and started putting into your practice recently. So do you want to just give your thoughts
1: on that? Yeah, so I think that every everyone reflects subconsciously and the decisions which people make and you know, I don't think there's any one of us that don't drive home from work and we're actually sat in the car thinking, you know, what did I do today? How did that go? How did that pan out? And that ultimately is a reflective process. Now, everyone does that, and I think that's that's common. But what what I and I think there's different ways how to do it, and I've personally I've found it really beneficial just to start writing those reflections down. I'm creating some sort of log. It might be through a diary, it might be through a weekly, a weekly planner, but I feel like it's helping me move on and actually look back at different situations so for example when I first started writing it, writing it down I might have came across a situation with a with a coach a manager or a player and I wrote down that situation how I dealt with it and how I thought I could be better in the future and then six months later I wrote down a similar similar situation and I've gone back and I've actually dealt with it with what, with what I thought was right back then um, and and I think that was key for me, just to see that, to see like I, I'm this 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 actually is working. I think. Um, and then again, so I think that's I think that's more objective rather than subjective because it's like wrote down, it's on a piece of paper. Yeah, it's not. It's still my what my thoughts are. But then even things. So I was. I was literally, I remember, I remember when I was thinking about it, I was sat on the sun lounge on holiday um, in the off-season. I think it was the, the off-season just gone. It was. And I thought, you know, I wonder what my, and the manager says quite often to me, he thinks I've had a big impact on training and um, what we actually loads are going through in his training sessions. Now, for me, looking through, it's hard to see that because it's so gradual over time. Now, obviously, we had the GPS data, so I wanted to do an analysis. So as soon as I got back on holiday, I did an analysis on what I, each day was like from where, where I first came in, so in the first two months from when I was there to the the same two months of the season, the year after. And it just so happened that the training load was so much more periodized within the weekly microcycle. From what it was previous, it was more monotonous every single day whether it's recovery day a minus four a minus two or a minus one and I feel like using different tools to help you reflect was really really good and that also then is an extra tool in your toolbox just to put in your diary and think about you know how, how you then change stuff again going forward based on how you've done it over the past 12 or 18 months and I feel like I wouldn't have started that process if it wasn't for the uh, the basis accreditation. So, part of the basis accreditation, I, I went through a process of describing each role that I had in every club and how I reflected on that role, what what I was thinking at the time, and how I was going to move on, and what the what sort of thought processes were going through my head then. And I feel like that really helped me actually think, you know what, this is actually really worthwhile because if I'm to go back to the first week when I started at Everton, there's a stark difference to what it's like now. Yeah, I think it's a really important thing for people to do, isn't it? So
0: would that be like a daily a daily task or daily habit that you carry out now? Is it something you do daily or do you do it weekly? Or So for me, I
1: think a lot of the times football clubs, Friday afternoons, are probably quite quiet. So I like to try and take myself off in the club and spend 25 minutes. Just that's my reflective time. Now, I've actually changed that now because a lot of the times... I started off like that and I didn't want the result on the Saturday because I didn't want the result on the Saturday to affect my reflections. Now, I feel like that should be in my reflections. So, again, the, the day, one of the most important days Max Day and I wanted to then do it as close as I could to Max Day so we'll now do it on a Monday morning before I go to work um, and that's literally just writing things down and just setting aside 25 minutes, 30 minutes in order to try to think about the past week just gone and how we're going to move forward. And, um, now that, that's not set in stone what that has to be but alongside that week as well like you've got a lot of time on your own I think it's forty forty five 45 minutes I drive into crew so I've got 45 minutes there 45 minutes back to reflect on the day and actually use that day to plan use that time to plan and reflect and, and do do different things rather than just not listen to podcasts <laughs> Yeah I think I think you're right
0: I think it's, it's something we get caught up in a bit of a whirlwind don't we when we're, when we're involved in especially in the thick of the season games coming thick and fast and you're just bouncing from session to session it, it can become quite hard and before you know it you've blinked and weeks of, or
1: months have passed so I do think it is very important yeah I think I think, I think you know you're, you're in the thick of it when, you, when your wife or your girlfriend asks you what day it is and you say a match day minus four <laughs> Yeah that's true.
0: <laughs> and it Liam, let's let's move it on to um the sports science journal club because yeah. this is something that one thing that I've really enjoyed in this period is looking at all the the different things that have cropped up when coaches have had a little bit more time and it's there's been so many great webinars there's there's all sorts of podcasts knocking about and videos and presentations there's so much so much good stuff out there and i do think it's just because people have been given that a little bit more time to to do things it gets like we just mentioned it gets tough in the season so do you want to just tell us about the journal club how what your sort of thoughts were originally with it but then just give us a bit more information on it
1: yeah so like most practitioners i think i'm i'm constantly in contact with students i'm constantly in contact with academics um probably a, a little bit more because of the, the, the pathway've come through with the phd but I really wanted to try to just bring the communities together because especially for students at this moment in time probably it's it, with the with the industry being so so diluted with not diluted that's the wrong word but I think with just there's so many people within the industry and it is so hard to get into now um like we've mentioned previously and I just wanted them to sort of get an idea of what research articles are we looking at? How are we looking at them? How are we dissecting the papers? How are we critiquing the papers? How are we how we, do we have a framework to critique the papers? Which hopefully that's going to be part of the next the next episode. Um, but really, what's what sort of research are we lo- looking at? Because ultimately they're the guys that they're the guys starting off their career. And if they can start reading that sort of research now and have that already in their head, then Hopefully it'll help them moving forward as well. And then more so from an applied and academic point of view, you know, what, what sort of research are the applied practitioners looking at or doing? And then academic, what are they doing? And, and is, there, is there a way we can try and bridge that gap a little bit better? And in terms of how it practically ranks, I know you've
0: literally just put, I think it was as we were recording, it was a yesterday or the day before you just released the, um, the video um on on LinkedIn. So that's yeah, available yeah, one yeah, for people yeah. to watch, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. And also obviously people can attend and then it's there, it's there now forever for people to look back on if they if they're a little bit stuck on how they're how they're looking at a research article. And you know, I'd, I'd recommend going to Barry Drus's talk on that because the way he was thinking about, you know, what is the research question, how were the methods done, what was maybe going through the practitioners' heads at the time, what was the demands on the on the practitioners who were, who were doing the research article, you know, everything like that should, pop, should now be starting to start to pop into students' heads when they're actually reading a paper which is done in the applied game. Now, I, when I was in university, I used to look at all the match analysis research and I think, this is amazing. You know, it's telling me how far players have run, how much high-speed running players have done, when actually when you actually get into the field everything's already there so you've already got all the stats it's just someone published that in a research paper which is brilliant we do need that we need that for the for the, the base of football really
0: no I think it's a, it's a great addition and uh, I encourage people to go and check it out and in terms of future plans for that as well Ian, what, what's uh, what's the
1: future for the, the journal club looking like? so yeah mate we're hopefully hopefully going to get another one up and running next week I'm just trying to finalise some of the speakers uh, once I've got that finalised, I can then release it, um, release the date, and release the papers that they'll be speaking about. But uh, I've got two speakers confirmed and waiting to get one more, and hopefully it'll be a very good one with a lot of interest again. Yeah, awesome. And in terms
0: of where people should keep an eye on, is it is it your Twitter? And do you want to give your handle if that's the case?
1: Yeah, so probably my Twitter is the best the best chance. And I think from the feedback as well, I think eighty five percent of the people said they found it on on Twitter as well and all the information was on there so my handle is Liam underscore Anderson 5 and in LinkedIn I think it's just Liam Anderson I think on, on LinkedIn just try and find me on there yeah
0: awesome mate well I encourage people to go and check it out obviously you can watch the, the previous one but um, this podcast is is going out the week we're recording which is a bit of a random one but um, so yeah hopefully next week as you, as you were saying next week yep. it will be um the week commencing whatever next week is. (laughs) 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 Lost track of days. Well, mate, I think um, there's so much good stuff in there regarding the PhD and I'm sure many people will be in a position that they can relate to that. Um, So, I hope there's plenty of takeaways there for people and I really appreciate you giving up your time. Brilliant, thanks, Ben. I appreciate it yourself as well. And uh, when the season gets going, mate, all the best for the rest of the season and and the closing
1: few games. Cheers, hopefully we can, you know, get over the line and get that promotion to League One again for a different experience. Awesome, mate. Well all the best and stay in touch. Cheers, Ben, thank you.
0: I hope you enjoyed that episode with Liam it was great to chat with him Um, I think he's got loads of positive things to say and loads of positive things that he's adding to the industry as well not just the Sports Science Journal Club but some of the advice he's given to young practitioners I know there's a lot of people reaching out to him at Crew, and he's always getting back in touch with people giving great advice but um The Sports Science Journal Club is another superb resource. If you haven't already checked it out, make sure you do. I know he's posted a few videos in the last few days, just depending when you're listening to this podcast. But just search for Liam on Twitter and you'll see all the information. So it's at Liam underscore Anderson and then the number five. There's some great practitioners involved in it. And again, just depending on when you're listening to this, I know he's got the second one. Um, in the diary so it might have already taken place depending when you listen to this episode so go and check it out support him with it because i know there's some great work going on behind the scenes regarding the, the journal club um but again there's the slow these last few episodes i've really struggled to narrow it down to just a few takeaways because there's been so much so much information from these guys um but for me some of the the things that I took away from it and sort of noted down at the time were where where he was talking about making the most of intern opportunities so he said about his time at Everton and we had a little conversation about it about internships, some people can use them for what they're for really and take the the most from it as possible, some people just want to turn up, sort of get a tick and then leave and then that's it and we're not going to progress as practitioners if we do that so making the most of opportunities I think was a big takeaway for me and then I've called this episode the reflective practice because I know it's something Liam's really passionate about and we had a good chat about it, but I think it's so important as well, and this isn't just in terms of sports science and strength conditioning, but I think this period in particular has has led to a lot of people reflecting on a lot of different things, and I think it's such an important practice or process to go through. And sometimes we can get caught up in a bit of a whirlwind in terms of just going day to day and weeks passing, months passing without really reflecting on things. I personally just started um, a, a practice of writing down three things I'm grateful for each day. And it might sound a bit cliche, a bit gimmicky, but I find it quite nice to sort of finish the day, sit down and think about three things I'm grateful for. And, and that might just be three things that are, that are good that have happened in the day as well. And I think it's quite important because otherwise we don't reflect. Um, and like I say, time can pass by without us really seeing the benefits of, of what we're doing. If we're re- related to sports science, strength conditioning, there's a lot of good work that goes on and we do have to recognize that as well. So that was a massive takeaway for me. And then Liam obviously, he tied that in with his basis accreditation in terms of that's what initially kicked off that process for him and taught him about the reflective practice or the reflective process. So they were my takeaways. I'd love to hear yours. I know Liam would love to hear yours as well. So reach out to us. Give us a tag on Twitter, at FootballFitFed, or tag Liam in as well. Let us know what your key takeaways were um, or drop us a message. But please, as always, share the episode with as many people as possible. Um, we're getting loads of really good shares recently, and like I said, really good feedback as well. And if you could, we're going to extend the iTunes ebook giveaway for an iTunes review to the next five people. So, just, if you haven't done so already, just pop over to iTunes, leave us a five-star review, of a short comment, screenshot that comment and that review, send it to mail at footballfitfed.com, and then we'll send you a free copy of our developing football speed ebook. Um, and yeah that'll be to the next five people that leave a review guys massive thank you for all your support and for listening i think these have been two top episodes this week we've already got two in the back in the bag for next week and the next few weeks as well and there's some top episodes coming up uh, following on from these last few weeks which i think have been pretty strong episodes so huge thanks for your support and we will speak to you again next week